Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. So let me give you a statistic that's going to make you happy this morning. You ready? We are only 96 days away from Christmas. Did you know that? Now, Hey, anybody got your lights up yet? Maybe you didn't take them down from last year. What are you waiting on, church? Let's get our lights up. Man, I tell you what, I'm one of those guys that love everything about Christmas, and I'm excited we're 96 days out. And I tell you what, I'm excited you're here this morning. Whether you are visiting online, you're here physically, whether this is the first time you've been or uh, you've been many times here to Connect Church, we are so grateful that you are here. 96 days until Christmas. I, listen, I'm a ginormous kid. I, I love it. I love everything about Christmas except for Hallmark movies. That's it, right? Everything else I love about Christmas. And in fact, one of my favorite Christmas movies, let me see if you guys can get this. You ready? There's this scene. Does anybody know what Christmas movie this, this box comes from? If you know it, yell it out. Elf. Listen, this is the actual Jack in the box played out. Watch this scene real quick. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. And so, Buddy was sent where the, the special elves work. trying out jack-in-the-boxes, and every time that guy jumps out of that box, it catches him by surprise, it catches him off guard. Now, listen, he's a toy maker, and I love this. Me and my kids played with this all day yesterday, right? You just know at some point, this guy's going to jump out, right? And then he's going to make his appearance on the scene. But listen, every time for Buddy, it catches him by surprise. It takes him off guard, catches him off guard, that there's going to be a guy that jumps out of this box, you know, believers, we're in Philippians chapter 3 towards the latter part. You know, there's things in life that sometimes catch us by surprise. A lot of things in life that'll, that'll catch us off guard a little bit. But as believers, there are some things that ought not catch us off guard. And one of those things, one of those teachings is found here at the end of Philippians chapter 3. And the very thing that ought not surprise us, that ought not catch us off guard, is the truth and the reality that Jesus is coming again. Is the truth and the reality that's taught throughout the Word of God that there is a second coming of Christ that you and I ought to be anticipating. We ought to be excited about. Here in the end of Philippians chapter 3, we are reminded as believers that there is a joy to be found, a joy to be found in the hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus. Now, you may say, wait, no, wait a second, second coming? Yeah, hey, you've heard about us first, haven't you? Remember the day that, that God became incarnate through the womb of Mary on the very first Christmas? Remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, lived a sinless life that pointed others to the Father through his love, his teachings, his miracles, most importantly, through the cross upon which he bore our sin and the tomb that he had emptied? Yes, that was his first coming. 
But we also find this, that at Jesus' first coming, he came as a child in a manger. At his second coming, he will come as a king in all his majesty. In his first coming, the world barely took notice. But in his second coming, the Bible teaches us in Revelation 1-7 that the entire world will see him. At his first coming, Jesus came as a healer and a savior. At his second coming, we find that Jesus comes as a warrior, as a conqueror. At his first coming, Jesus came as the Lamb of God who was slain. At his second coming, he comes as the Lion of the tribe of Judah that will slay all of evil. And that is why Paul is able to write in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship lies in heaven. He goes on and says this, as we eagerly await a Savior from there. Listen to the way he describes his anticipation of the second coming of Jesus, that he is eager for it, that he longs for it. Now, we are a a Bible-believing church. We we preach the Bible here at Connect Church. And you know what? We're we're convinced the Bible's not just for some motivational speech or catchy one-liners. Here's what we know to be true, that the Bible is heart-transforming, grace-dealing, life-changing, curse-breaking, disciple-making, and eternity-shaking as the very word of God. As a Bible-believing church, the second coming of Christ is a truth that is both essential and non-negotiable. In fact, for Paul, the second coming of Jesus was presented as a fact that wasn't to be disputed among the church. I want to share some stats with you that I heard come by uh, John MacArthur about the Bible and the second coming of Jesus. And here's what he shared. He said, in the Bible, there are some 660 general prophecies. Now, of these prophecies, these 660, 333, just over half of them, deal with Jesus Christ. Now, of that 333, 109 of those prophecies speak to Jesus' first coming. But 224 of those prophecies deal with the second coming of Jesus. Think about the Bible. Do you know that there was over 1,527 Old Testament passages that speak to the second coming of Christ? That out of the over 7,900 verses in the New Testament, 330, one out of every 25 refer to the second coming. Now listen to this. Next to the subject of faith in the New Testament, the subject of Jesus' second coming is the most dominant subject found in all of the New Testament. Now think of this, for every time the Bible speaks of Jesus' first coming, it speaks to his second coming eight times. In fact, Jesus talked about his second coming over 21 times in Scripture, nearly 50 times. The New Testament calls the people of God to anticipate, to expect the coming of Jesus Hey, church, you hear me, you ready? The second coming of Christ is a biblical truth and a future reality. The question is this, and really the question that kind of sits over the entire time today, is are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? Are you ready for the Lord to come again? I I speak to those who maybe are here today and and you're not bought into the whole church or the Jesus idea, you're not bought in yet, I I ask that question to you, 
But I also ask that question of believers in the house today. Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? Now today, as we begin to dive in, I'm reminded of what David Jeremiah would say. He says this, that as we await the coming of the Lord, as Christians, we are to walk submissively, to worship triumphantly, to witness urgently, to work fervently, and to watch expectantly for the second coming of Christ. And as we do that, I want us to look at the second coming of Jesus in a way I believe the Bible teaches, and that is in two parts. I want to make sure my screen here, hey, let me push one button back here. I thought this might happen right here. Let's do this. You ready? All right, here we go. Let me show you something, because here's the two parts we're going to speak of. The second coming of Christ takes place in two parts. Part number one, when Christ comes for his church, and part number two, when Christ comes with his church. Now here's a little timeline that I, that I kind of made up on one of our programs here. Is when Christ comes for his church is part one. Here at the beginning right now we live in the church age. But there will come a time when Christ comes for his church. And then there will be a period talked about in Revelation 6 through 19. The period, the time frame of the great tribulation. And at the end of that, at the battle of Armageddon, the second part of his coming will take place. And that is when Christ comes with his church. But today we camp out here. Next week we go through the tribulation and part two. But today we talk about the very rapture of the church. Now, before we begin this, before we begin this idea of this first part of the second coming of Christ, I want us to talk about how it unfolds. And I also want us to be aware that there's varying views within the church about the second coming of Christ. Now, hear me. It is essential and a matter of faith and fellowship that we are unified that Christ is coming again, without question. But there is much grace to be dealt in the exact unfolding of these events. Now, the truth is, there are differing opinions. Details are important, but there are differing opinions, even within the church world, about the second coming of Christ. Now, we also live in a culture that, if you don't agree with me, we try to demonize, we try to demean, we try, we try to discredit someone if they don't agree exactly with us, but the church is better than that. Uh, we, don't, we don't do business like that. We deal a great deal in grace because here's the deal. At the end of the day, at the end of the sermon, we are unified in Christ and we are unified in this truth that he is coming again. So let's take a look just for a few moments at the rapture of the church and what will take place. Now, you might hear the word rapture, and you might have heard it before, but you find it curious that you've never read the word in the Bible. I've never read the word rapture in the Bible because it's not there. In fact, it's a Latin word that means to be snatched up, and it's a descriptive word that we use to describe the events of Jesus' second coming, part one, the rapture of his church. And the question is that you've got to ask yourself, hey, listen, if we're going to talk about it, Hey, when's this thing going to take place? When's all of this going to go down? You ready? I have a master's degree. I love the word. I've pastored and been in ministry for years. And so let, let me just let you in on when Jesus is going to come back. You ready? We don't know. We don't. We don't have a clue. I'm reminded of reading a description from a church leader. And listen to what he says here. It's very passionate about the coming of the Lord. He, he says this, the last days are upon us. 
Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time eternal and invisible. And yet the Lord did not come back in his lifetime. You know why? Because his name was Ignatius. He wrote that in 110 AD, just a few decades after Paul wrote the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. But he had waited for it. Hey, listen, I've read accounts of Christopher Columbus that in 1656, he was convinced the Lord was going to come back. And guess what? Our buddy was wrong. Hey, I read accounts from 1666 where pastors wrote in their journal that end time speculations were so that every time a storm would happen, people would flood the churches because they thought the second coming of Christ was near. Guess what? He didn't come. Yet we see all throughout church history, those who are longing. And, and you know what? Many who's tried to say, hey, he's coming back at this day. But here's the truth. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this in Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Hey, we don't know the, the date of the rapture. Many people have tried to pinpoint the time of Jesus' return. Still to this day they try. And they hold one thing wrong, in common, that they were wrong. With that being said, in church, I, I want you to hear me. With that being said, I honestly believe there is nothing that is yet to take place that is holding Jesus back from coming again right now in this moment. I don't think there's a missing piece of the puzzle with prophecy or physically, a missing piece that is holding Jesus from coming back again for his church. Hey, all the signs are in place. Look at a portion of what Jesus taught about these end times, these ending things. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, of what would happen before his coming, Jesus wrote this, or Jesus spoke this, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be alarmed. See to it that you're not. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. He talks about how the gospel will be, be preached all throughout the world. Let me share some statistics with you. Ready? Do you know that every year over 20,000 earthquakes plague our planet? That means this. By the time we're done today, 55 earthquakes will have hit somewhere across the world. Hey, talking about famine and being hungry, did you know in 2019 alone, over 820 million people on our planet went hungry? Devastating effect on these health lives. Speaking of rumors of war, hey, just look to the nations today. You have Iran, you have Afghanistan, you have ISIS, you have terrorism. You have tensions between China and Taiwan, China and Hong Kong. You have tensions in Russia and North Korea. You have the Israelis and the Palestinians. You have India and Pakistan and on and on and on. Rumors of wars. And you think of this. There has been no other time paralleled in history where the gospel has gone forth to the various corners of this planet. It's never been so accessible as it is now. And you know what I say to you? The signs are in place for the coming of the Lord. Yet, hear me church, he will come when we least expect it. Matthew chapter 24 verse 38. Jesus says, for as in the days before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. He did not know, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You ready? When Jesus comes for His church, everyone will be living life as normal. Many people going on with their lives with no thought towards God. And listen to this warning of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hey, you ready, church? You know what he's saying? Don't get caught by surprise. Don't you be caught off guard, believer. Because this truth and this reality is going to don't let the coming of Jesus catch you by surprise. And so Jesus goes on, and, and I love this conversation that he has in Matthew 24. And he begins to say this, that of that day, two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Here's the, here's the deal. When Christ comes from his, his church, when he comes for us, on that day, I believe so many in the church will be taken, will be gone, will meet the Lord in the air as we see it described here in just a few minutes. But I also believe that there will be many church members who are left behind. Hey, listen, on that day, I believe many pastors will meet the Lord in the air when He comes for His church. Sadly, I think there are going to be some pastors who are left behind. On that day, a husband will wake up to find that his godly wife is no longer laying next to him and will wonder what happened. On that day, I believe that there will be people who will be called to come into work that will never answer their phone because they're in Christ and they're gone. On that day, I believe there will be many friends and family members who their cell phones will ring and ring and ring to never be picked up again because they're now at home with the Lord. Anthony, what will it look like? Are you, are, do you believe it? I do. Listen to what Paul would write. The Thessalonians were a unique church in that they had so anticipated the coming of Jesus that they began to be worried about grandma who had went to home to be with the Lord who had already died and Jesus had yet to come back. They begin to worry about granddad, who loved Jesus with all of his heart, but he had done died. Well, he missed out on the second coming. And so Paul writes them a letter. And listen to what Paul says to the church in Thessalonians. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. According, and listen to this description, I love it. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who died in Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, those of us who are still alive and are left will be caught up together, where we get the Greek word for rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And Paul tells the church, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Hey, by the way, believer, as we talk the second coming, don't allow fear to well up in you. 
be encouraged. By this very discussion, Paul would write the Thessalonian church. Hey, listen, at the rapture, when Jesus comes for his church, the souls of believers who have already died will come with Christ, be united with their bodies which are made new and glorious in Christ. And those who are still alive will meet the Lord in the air and our bodies will likewise be changed forever too. That's why Paul would write at the end of Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, talking about Jesus, who, he writes, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be glorious like his. Paul would write to church at Corinth and say this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I'll tell you what, I've loved prepping this message this week. This is hours worth of study, and then hours worth of the cutting floor. Cutting things out so this message wouldn't be four days long. And I loved it. In this whole time, I got to thinking about the new bodies that we'll have in Christ. And y'all begin to do, I begin to inquire of the Lord. Hey, Lord, what would my new body look like? What would my glorified body look like? And he sent me this picture of what it would look like. <laughs> to my wife, you're welcome. Uh, anyway, hey, listen. He sent me this. Now, listen, I don't know. Uh, for some reason, I just think I'm going to be better looking than Tim Tebow in my glorified body. Probably not. But anyway, listen, I, I don't know what it all is going to look like. But I tell you what, the events of that day, and by the way, I, I'm going to take this off the screen so ladies will start listening to me again. Uh, no more eye candy. Anyway, listen, I, I believe that day all of us in Christ will have the new body that's been promised us. Hey, Anthony, come on. It's 2020. Do you really believe the rapture? Really believe this, this teaching of the Bible? Church, hear me. I do. I do. I believe that God one day will look, that God the Father will look at His Son and say, Jesus, I'm not going to tolerate this evil anymore. I cannot tolerate it any longer. Go get your bride. Go get the church. And I believe that Jesus will step out of heaven and into the atmosphere of this old planet. And I believe those who had died in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and as their souls come down, they'll be reunited with their glorious and forever body. And those of us who are blessed enough to still be alive, in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will get to meet the Lord in the air and so forever spend with him. Do I believe it'll happen? Yes. I long for it. And I look for it. I long and I look for the day Jesus comes for his church. But some of the questions that you might have in your mind, and listen, no 30-minute message can exhaust all the questions you might have while we're carrying over some of this until next week. But why do we need a rapture? Why is it so important that the church be gone before the great tribulation? Why does the Bible teach that? Well, here's, here's my one apologetic, and here's my biggest belief in the rapture of the church before the great tribulation. You ready? Because the church 
the church itself is not a target of the great tribulation. Meaning this, that the great tribulation is not for the church. Now, this great tribulation period described in Revelation 6 through 19 is not just another of the various trials and tribulations talked about in the New Testament. In fact, over 40 times in the New Testament, the church is told that we have and that we will have, and in the days ahead, face various trials and tribulations. But here's the difference. What takes place in the Great Tribulation? If you were to study Revelation 6 through 19, you would find 10 times in those chapters the word wrath. 10 times do we read in those chapters that God is pouring out His wrath, that His wrath is being pointed to in the Scriptures. And here's what I know to be true from the Word of God. While Christians, listen, we are subject to, we experience various sufferings and trials and tribulations in this life. One thing we are not subject to, one thing God will not expose His church and His children, one thing God will not allow for His church and His children is wrath. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 5.9. Since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What takes place in the great tribulation is different from the trials and tribulations we know as believers in a fallen world. In fact, let's take a glimpse for a moment. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, let's take a, let's take a glimpse into the great tribulation and the language that comes from there. They call to the mountains, John writes, and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? The great tribulation is a unique time in history where God will pour out his wrath on all evil and all this world. Hey, by the way, when I read Revelation chapter 6 through 19, you know who I don't see? I don't see the church anywhere in those chapters. The church is gone. I see nothing of the church here on earth. In fact, Jesus would describe this period of time in Matthew chapter 24, verse 41. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. Now think of it, as we kind of wind this message and come home. Think of it. Jesus, in his great Matthew 24 discourse, speaking of the end times, said things will be as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah. You see, back then, in Genesis, God would pour out his wrath against sin and rebellion in the earth. On the earth, against sin, against rebellion, and against wickedness, and God did it through a great flood in which he flooded the face of the planet. What's amazing to me is in that time frame, there was one man in his family who had loved God, who had followed after God. His name Noah. He so as God pours out all of his wrath on the earth, you know what God does? He spares and he saves Noah and his family from his wrath. He gives him the blueprint to an ark. He shuts him up in that ark. 
And he supernaturally protects them while the wrath is taking place. God gathered Noah and his family together on that ark. He saved them and spared them from his wrath. And they did not die in the flood. Hey, praise God, as 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us, that we wait a son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus, watch this, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And in the very same, Jesus reminds us, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. Hey, listen, I've got three daughters, eight, six, and four. And one of my favorite things to do, I love combing my daughter's hair. It's probably because I can't comb my own hair, okay? Let's just be honest. There's something there, but, but I love it. Um, when I comb their hair, it's, it's a little bit crazy because um, I didn't know this, but they get tangles in their hair, you know, and so sometimes you comb and then you about rip their hair out and, and there's a lot of tears and, and sometimes they cry too. But anyway, it's just this whole experience. But, but it's like this. Yesterday, we took the kids over to Cherokee, North Carolina. Had a great day, but we knew we were coming to church uh, this morning. And so last night, before the kids got in bed, but we got them all showered up and all ready. And, and there's something you got to do with girls. You got to comb their hair when they get out of the shower. If not, there's a lot of death and dying in their hair. It's just unbelievable. So we, we, we get out of the shower, and you know what? We know it's church the next day. And, and so you know what? The girls say, hey, Dad, we comb my hair. And so every Saturday night, comb their hair. Listen, we got to do something different. This is a Cinderella hairbrush. And I got a little boy in the mix now, too. So we really need to up our brush game. But anyway, I'll, I'll take the Cinderella brush. And, and I'll brush, brush their hair. I ran across a story of a little girl one time who was sitting in church, much like today, and she was listening to her pastor preach on the second coming of the Lord. Well, on the way home that day, she began to quiz her mama. Hey, hey mama, do you really believe that Jesus is, is coming again? And the mama said confidently, sweetheart, of course I do. And she said, but hey, wait a second, Mama. Do you, do you think that Jesus could come again soon? Sweetheart, yeah, absolutely. And she said, Mama, do you think he could come in the next few minutes? The Mama said, yes. And the little girl said, well, Mama, will you comb my hair? Will you comb my hair? You know, that little girl, she has it right. Hey, church, you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be combing our hair. We ought to live in such a way knowing this biblical truth, this future reality, that Jesus is coming again. And so that it never catches us by surprise. That it never takes us off guard. But every one of us ought to get up every day combing our hair, ready for the Lord to return again. One of the questions that has, uh, that has weighed heavy on my mind as I prepared this message is Anthony, if, if you knew by midnight tonight that the Lord was coming again, how different would my Sunday look? Oh, and trust me, I have a leg up on all of you. <laughs> I'm going to preach Sunday morning two services. I got a baptism service at 2.30. How different would my Sunday look? I don't know how, how big of a nap I would take. I'm not so sure that I would be so distant from my family today, this afternoon. How different will my day look? Let me tell you. If Jesus told me, Anthony, I'm coming at noon today, or at midnight today, you know how different my day would be? 
I would go find everybody I knew who didn't know the Lord. And I would share the gospel with them and beg them to come to Jesus. In fact, my day, even on a Sunday, look a whole lot different than a normal Sunday. I got to thinking, God, why does it look any different anyway? You may not come at midnight. You may come at noon today. By the time I'm done preaching this morning, Jesus could have come back in a flash. And we need Him every time. And so I remember what David Jeremiah says, Church, what are we to do? You ready? We are to comb our hair, church. We are to walk submissively with the Lord. We are to worship triumphantly the Lord. We are to witness urgently. We are to work fervently. And we are to watch expectantly every day that God gives us on this earth. As I quoted last week from Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite quotes of his, we must live as if Jesus died yesterday, he rose this morning, and he's coming back this afternoon. Church, the truth is, a lot of us sit here with messy hair spiritually. Not ready for it. In fact, even as believers, this very conversation, although you wouldn't say it out loud, there is fear that is bubbling up in you. There are whispers deep in your soul where you go, oh goodness, I hope it's not today. Listen, I've been there. I've had those whispers deep down. Oh, I hope it's not today. You know what God's desire for us as believers? to move us to a place where Paul was in Philippians 3. To where that we not fearfully await the coming, but we eagerly await the coming of the Lord together. That we comb our hair, and every day we live as if He's coming. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.